You're listening to Two Girls, One Crossword. I'm like half in the shadows right yeah. now. I can't get, I need to get a ring light. You need a ring light. I think you need a ring light. But my background is all lit up. You're perfectly lit up. Right. But I also know exactly where you're sitting in your apartment, and you're sitting in probably the most shadowed area of your apartment. Well, there's no place else I can sit. Okay. So I know there's no place. I know. Okay. No pressure. Even though I'm sitting perfectly in front of these beautiful windows, I'm beautifully lit. You know, well, it's a great you know day what? in the neighborhood. We can't all be fucking perfect. <laughs> Um, All right, should we get started? (laughs) We should get started. Welcome, welcome. You're listening to Two Girls, One Crossword. I'm Chelsea. I'm Grace. We're the Good Evening Girls, and this is everyone's favorite weekly Podword Crosscast. We're back with another week of crossword reviews. Some laughs, I hope. One or two laughs. I will not not be laughing. Oh, right, right, right. Um, Um, Before we, like, hop into anything, I'm just going to do a quick little, if you hear my dog going around you know i have a dog and if you're watching you can see his little head and you can see his little shaved ear because we've had a little vet emergency the past week and not that anybody was looking for an update on my couch situation that i was talking about last episode but yes my vet emergency did involve my dog bleeding on my couch which means i do need to get a new couch so well it's a no one expected that update soon so <laughs> here we are um all right should we jump right into our heights and shites? Let's go into the heights and shites. Where should we start? I didn't do too many crosswords because of the vet thing. Um, I yeah. did four crosswords this week, which is still pretty good. Wow. I know. How Weird does it feel flex. to be dumb? <laughs> I hate being dumb. I want to be dumber, actually. So I wish. Ignorance is bliss, baby. Right? Must be nice. Uh, maybe we could start with, like, crossword news. Sure. Yeah. Take it away. Take it away. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know what you're about to say. <laughs> uh, I want to pitch uh, Lollapazoola to everybody. Oh, right. Okay. Um, so for those of you who don't know, Lollapazoola is a crossword tournament. And actually, this year is the 13th annual Lollapazoola happening Ooh. virtual. I think it's its, it's first a virtual edition. Year. Yeah, it's spooky. Um, and it's happening on Saturday, August 15th from 1 to 7 p.m., if you're interested in being involved in the crossword tournament, you can head to bemoresmarter.com. That's where you can get information on it. Um, Lollapazoola is going to be hosted by Brian Cement, who is one of the hosts of the Fill Me In crossword podcast, which is one of our um, rivals but friends, you know? we're not Friendly like, rivals. Friendly rivals. We're not trying to take their listeners away, because I I'm, I'm, can guarantee you that their listeners are not our listeners. No. <laughs> But we do have a, we do crossword podcast, so yay. Um, and then it's also being hosted by Patrick Billinder. You can go to patrickspuzzles.com. He's a crossword constructor, um, and they're hosting it. And yeah, if you're interested, it costs 20 bucks to be in the tournament. Uh, and if you just want the puzzles, it'll cost you 10 bucks. Grace and I will not be participating. No, we'll just be getting the puzzles afterwards. Um, yes. We are not participating because we don't want to embarrass ourselves. We don't. So, and no. I, I appreciate all the encouragement from everybody who thinks that we're strong enough. No, and enthusiastic like enough. They're just trying to like bring us there to humiliate us with pig's blood in their <laughs> two-minute crossword times. You're right. It takes me like 11 minutes to do USA Today. <laughs> Monday, no, USA Today, 30 yeah. minutes. <laughs> A good hour. Just really dig deep in there. <laughs> Um, but I hope there are some people out there that uh, plan on 
you know, doing the tournament. I believe Rachel Faby, who we had on our podcast one time to explain to us what a crossword was, is one of the <laughs> constructors for the tournament. So yay, Rachel. Uh, if you're doing the tournament, let us know. We'll see you there on Twitch. Let us know. No, we won't see them there. Well, we're not participating, but I'm going to hop on Twitch and be like, hi. And bother me. everyone. Yeah, I'll bother everybody. I'm really good at okay. that. Cool. Yeah, I know. Um, all right. What else we got? I don't have any more news. Do you have more news? No more news. Okay. Sorry. No more news for the week. That's it. That's it. Um, well, I have a shit open, but it's like a light shit, and I hate mm-hmm. to even do this because it's one of my favorite constructors, but I just wanted to get um, your thoughts on this. So this was from the USA Today crossword on August 5th by Sauchin Bernakel. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. 50 down. Blanks over. Gets ready to click on, say. Hovers over. That's what I thought. It's mouses over. I had never heard that before. So then I looked it up, and it, it is a thing, but it's more of like a technical thing, like if you're into making websites or whatever. Right. But I never heard it before. So it's kind of like a light shit, because in Eric's article, um, in they talk time, about how, yeah. like, just because you don't know, <laughs> some, like, the answer to crossword doesn't mean it's a bad clue. This isn't necessarily trivia, but I had just never heard that before. No, yeah, I, I hear you. I think I think it's more colloquially said as hovers over. Yeah. Or at least maybe. maybe for real computer nerds, say mouse is over. Let right. us know if you're a real computer nerd. Yes, let us know. Um, but actually, I feel like I don't have that many shits these days because I'm not doing, I'm really not doing the New York Times. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, that's so true. I actually did two New York Times crosswords this week, but only because I saw who was constructing the puzzles and that's why I did them. Like for instance, the Friday, July 31st New York Times was by Claire Rimkus and Eric Agard. So I was like, mm-hmm. I can do that. Like, I'll do that. Fine. Um, one of the really like good clues, I think you'll like this one. Three down, crush something, question mark was orange soda (gasps) which is very cute and then i just think of like who loves orange soda kel loves orange soda i met him on an airplane once really oh you told me this yeah it's like one of my only like celebrity encounters very nice another good one from that puzzle was nine down eyebrow filling technique microblading Ooh, very very nice and this one was really funny 24 down groin pulls question mark and the answer is lusts (laughs) (laughs) all right um and then the last one i want to highlight from that one from that puzzle is 27 down gymnastics eponym of a double back somersault with three twists and the answer is biles for simone biles who is like a true freaking machine badass she is the goat she is gymnastics yeah i mean i think she's just in general a goat of many things yeah i'd agree with that anyway um Okay, from the New Yorker on August fifth by Natan Last, mm-hmm. he had a couple. One that oh yes, I did. Okay. I actually did one of these. I did this yeah. one. It was funny. Um, one across dog treat question mark foot um, rub. Yeah, foot rub. It was. Good. I feel like I don't refer to my feet as dogs often enough, <laughs> so I'm going to make an effort to do that. That that really tripped me up because I don't like to think about feet, mine or anyone else's. So that means I don't think about the word dog to be used for feet because I just want like your to dogs think about are feet. barking. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, okay, 19 across is what really tripped me up. I think this was on purpose. Mm-hmm. Okay. The um, clue was pegged or fingered. Yes. And then the answer was ID'd. Okay. Yeah. You could have used any <laughs> clue. That was definitely intentional, and I yeah. loved it. Because that's the clue you would never see in the New York Times, because it's too suggestive. 
no let us know if that was a uh, intended or not another puzzle that i really liked was the thursday august 6th from the washington post which is did i do that today yes today's six um i just liked the the theme so the theme revealer was 62 across appropriate reward as often misspelled and what the starts of the answers to starred clues might be um so just desserts was the answer okay and then uh the other like some of the other starred clues had desserts in the answer so scout leaders unit is brownie troop nice um, analyst infographic is pie chart yes i just thought it was cute i, I could eat a brownie one. right now i know same hungry hungry um back to new york times crossword constructor like excitement that i had which made me do the puzzle the saturday august 1st new york time was adam aronson and paolo pasco this was such a good puzzle. First of all, buy Palo's book, Crossword Puzzles for Kids on Amazon. <laughs> also, um, like I said, the puzzle was really good, but I have a bone to pick about the opener and closer. Like, truly some really tricky proper nouns that I think if we had done this together, you and I would have been completely effed. So let me just, I'll read you 1A. 1A, Coach K of NCAA men's basketball fame. And I think this is how you pronounce it. The answer was... Krizizewski? Yeah, no. So, K-R-Z-Y-Z-E-W-S-K-I. Okay, so that was the opener. And then the closer, 68 across. Landlock land along the Silk Road. Kyrgyzstan? K-Y-R-G-Y-Z-S-T-A-N. That was difficult, difficult, lemon, difficult. Even if I knew, like, the trivia answer to those questions, I would definitely not know how to spell them. <laughs> no, I, that was the tricky part, because even when I started doing, like, the downs to kind of, like, help myself fill in the crosses, mm-hmm. even as I filled in the letters, I was like, there's no way I can even guess these names, because I don't know how to spell this country, and I do not know how to spell this name. So, there we go. But, um, some fun clues, or th- clues that kind of tripped me up, but I thought were cl- cleverly written, um... 12 down, residents with lots of remotely controlled systems. The answer is smart home, which makes me think of the Disney Channel movie Smart... Is it Smart Home house. or Smart Smart House? Smart yeah. house. Um, which right. is great. Put some respect. I know, I'm sorry. Uh, another good one, 31 down, spit take, perhaps, question mark. And the answer is DNA sample. Ooh, that was good. I like that. Or 29 down, which is my favorite, dead reckoning, question mark. And the answer is necromancy. So that was good. Good puzzle. Gosh, they're so smart. They're so, so smart. I love it. What else you got? Um, I just have, speaking of Paolo, from um, his website, Grids These Days. <gasps> yes, this is such a good puzzle. The Themeless 16. Yes. Uh, puzzle 68, Pasco Pinwheel. I don't know if that's the name of it. But anyways, he had a lot of uh, TikTok references in here. Yes. He had 30 Across TikTok Precursor, which is Vine. Of course, he of had, course. Um, Aesthetic associated with black clothes, chains, ch- chains, and curtained hair, which is e-boy. Yes, yeah, so we did this puzzle today, Matt and I, and Matt was like, what is an e-boy? And I was like, exactly, was what this, exactly what this clue is. So then I just typed e-boy into Google, and like the picture came up, and it, it is identical to what this clue is. So. <laughs> and then, I don't know if this was started by TikTok, but I've definitely seen it a bunch on TikTok. 34 across, aesthetic defined by rural domestic living, cottage Cottagecore. Core. Yes, I loved that. I also really loved um, 
22 across pierces like a bubble teacup lid and the answer is stabs which is like a very specific motion that you have to do to like because bubble tea comes with that like little plastic on top and you take your yeah yep stab it in and if you peel that plastic off and you just drink it like normal it's kind of like that's not how you drink bubble tea you stab your you know whatever in straw in i also really liked 44 and 46 down the fact that they are right next to each other and the clues for those so 44 down is transports that are harder to ride uphill and the answer is bikes and then 46 down was transports that are pretty much impossible to ride uphill and the answer was sleds i thought that was cute right next to each other um i also liked 55 down the office inspired verb meaning look at the camera as coined by community episode um and the answer is gym to like pull a gym is when you like look at the camera which they popularized did in um, the office it was a great you know fun puzzle to do today so i'd recommend it i enjoyed that very good Um, that's all i got that's all i have oh my god uh we flip the coin we should like wait (laughs) corrections corner i can't no 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 corrections corner it's fine we're moving on not (laughs) today not today satan it's been too long no one corrects me anymore (laughs) no they don't um so that means we're gonna flip the coin are you ready yeah all right i'm flipping (laughs) i'm not busy i guess we could flip it i'm flipping the coin now heads that's me that's you yay all right let's hop into it then my topic comes from the saturday august 1st new york times crossword by adam aronson and paolo pasco 66 across it might say pay poor tax of 15 dollars and the answer is chance card from monopoly Oh, so my topic, you know nothing about Monopoly. You are about to have your literal freaking (laughs) mind blown because I grew up playing Monopoly like pretty much competitively with my brothers and my family like my entire life. Um, Matt never played Monopoly as a kid. The first time he played was with us. And let me tell you, it gets heated. Monopoly takes too long. That's why I don't like it. I know. And you also you're you have some. um, Yeah, I'm not a hesitation person. yeah, Yeah, board games. Um, but I feel like Monopoly has a very special place in my heart and I learned so much doing this topic, like so much. So I'm hoping that I can teach you and I'm hoping that other people will be like really like agog from what I am about to teach them. Most people know that Monopoly is a board game and if you don't know, it is a board game. Okay. Um, it is currently produced by Hasbro. Um, and there are hundreds of different versions of Monopoly out there with like many, many spinoffs. So there's like Harry Potter Monopoly, Walking Dead Monopoly, Game of Thrones Monopoly, Star Trek Monopoly, you know, Great Wonders of the World Monopoly or whatever. Um, And then there's a lot of other related media like video games and expansion packs. You can actually have like a stock market expansion pack for your Monopoly game if you wanted. (laughs) Sounds terrible. Right. Right. Uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit how to play first. We're talking about the U.S. standard version um, that we would play here if you were to, like, go to your closet and pull out your Monopoly. Uh, The game board is square, uh, and each space on the game board is a property that a player can buy. um, And if it's not a property, it's some other actionable space, like draw a card, go to jail, pay the bank this much money. Um, And players move their token around this square board by rolling two six-sided die uh 
They can buy and trade properties, and then they develop these properties by adding houses and hotels to the property, which raises the value of the property. Players then collect rent from their opponents who land on their property, and the goal is to drive your opponents to bankruptcy. Uh, the game is notorious for having many, many house rules. So, like, you could go to your Uncle Joe's house and play one way, and then you go to Great Aunt Sally's, and she has a totally different set of house rules. Similar to, like, when you play, like, Uno. Everybody plays mm -hmm. Uno a different way and just kind of causes a lot of fights. Like, if you go away to college and you try and play Uno with your roommates, yeah. and they play a totally different way than you, it starts some arguments. Or beer pong. Exactly. Uh, one of the most common house rules, and we have this, we use this at my house, is the free parking jackpot pot rule where like all the money collected from income tax luxury tax chance and community closet um community chest cards they go into the center of the board instead of going to the bank um, and then if you land on free parking you get that money from the center of the board so it's like a, a little bonus so monopoly as we know it has been around since 1935 and has since been licensed in more than 103 countries and printed in more than 37 language it's um, a massive international phenomenon and i would say like most americans have played monopoly at one point in their life and a lot of americans could probably like if you were to pull out the game right now everyone could just start playing they don't need to like know the mm -hmm. rules because everyone has played monopoly and it's kind of like this household family thing if i were to pull monopoly out right now and you were willing to play would you know the rules or would you have to be explain the rules no, I would have to explain. I have I played like as a child briefly, right. but I really yeah. didn't like it. Yeah. No, yeah. I definitely would need I would need a refresh. Very nice. <laughs> Thanks, family. <laughs> it's totally fine. Like I just grew up playing Monopoly so much, so when I meet people that haven't like played Monopoly as much as I have, I'm kinda like, huh? This is like the game that we played. Like this is the thing that made us so cutthroat. No, we'd like life and clue. I loved Clue as well, but we played Monopoly more. And it's probably because my dad loved Monopoly so much and he loved cheating. He was the banker and he'd always <laughs> cheat. So. <laughs> um, so where did Monopoly all begin, right? Uh, it was once widely believed that a man named Charles Darrow invented the game in the 30s at the height of the Great Depression. He was like this down-on-his-luck kind of guy, poor, out of work. The story goes that Charles Darrow and his wife were having dinner with their friends, Charles and Olive Todd. Todd's, like Charles Todd pulled out a real estate game he had recently learned, uh, and the Todds and the Darrows played all night long. The Darrows loved the game so much that they asked the Todds for a copy, but this game wasn't mass produced at this point, so Todd actually had to physically create a copy of the game and then gave it to Darrow. Um, and it was after this night that Charles Darrow began calling the game Monopoly and went on to distribute it himself. Parker Brothers ended up buying the copyright from Darrow. But here's the rub. Darrow did not invent the game. The patent was in somebody else's name. A woman's name. Of course. Yep. Lizzie Maggie. Okay. What a name. Two first names and they're both nicknames. It's great, right? Yeah. So... Who was Lizzie Maggie? Lizzie Maggie was born in Maycomb, Illinois in 1866. She was a game designer, inventor, writer, feminist, abolitionist, anti-monopolist, and Georgist. I love her. I love her. Okay, so if you don't know, Georgism, and I'm going to, this is a definition from Wikipedia, because it was the easiest to like comprehend. So Georgism is an economic perspective that instead of taxing income or other sources, the government should create a universal land tax based on the usefulness, size, and location of the land. Then, after funding the government, 
the leftover money would be distributed to the people. Georgism was supported by many progressive political leaders in the early 1900s because they believed it motivated people to cultivate land, it redistributed wealth to people of low socioeconomic standing, um, it kind of got rid of this idea that landowners or landlords held the power and monetary value of the land that citizens used, and it let people own all the value and benefits of their creation. Um, Georgism as a philosophy was inspired by an American economist, Henry George, hence the name, uh, he promoted this idea of a single tax on land. Single tax basically meant that people should own the value they produce themselves, um, but that the economic value derived from the land, such as like natural resources, uh, should belong equally to all members of society. Um, and this guy, Henry George, argued that this would reform society and the economy like overall. So this belief in the philosophy of Georgism was actually the basis of the game invented by Lizzie Maggie, or Maggie, a game that she actually called the Landlord's Game. Hmm. Mm hmm. Interesting. So this is like a leftist political game we're talking about here. Interesting. What happened? Because now Monopoly is just this, like, horrible game that glorifies capitalism. Yeah. Um, what went wrong, right? A little bit more about Maggie. She worked as a stenographer for a time. She also wrote poetry, short stories. She even appeared in plays. Like I said, she was an inventor. In 1893, she patented her first invention, which was like a gadget that could feed different um, sizes of paper into a typewriter, which allowed for oh, more yeah. type. I need to one be, of those. You do. I know. Um, it would allow type more type to be on like a single sh sheet of paper. So she kind of like revolutionized typewriting. Yay. Mm -hmm. um, she was also like a like I said, a feminist, and she was a Georgist and an anti-monopolist. She was really into politics. She knew that the problems of the new century were so vast um, and, like, income inequalities were so large and the power of the monopolists were so great. It's kind of like, it's impossible for this unmarried woman to, like, do anything that would change society, right? Um, she was a stenographer. She worked for $10 a week, unmarried, you know, a woman, Mm -hmm. with radical thoughts like nothing she does can change the way people think right she was like no i can do this i can like make actionable change in my community so how is she going to do it the landlord's game so by the early 1900s board games were super common in you know middle class houses mm -hmm. inventors were also realizing that games were not just like a pastime but as a way to kind of communicate their ideology like at large yeah, and in like Candyland. Exactly, like Candyland. <laughs> yeah, and Yahtzee. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> um, in 1904, Maggie received a patent for her game called The Landlord's Game. Um, and according to Maggie, The Landlord Game is, quote, a practical demonstration of the present system of land grabbing with all its usual outcomes and consequences. It might well have been called The Game of Life, as it contains all the elements of success and failure in the real world, and the object is the same as the human race in general seems to have, i.e. the acclamation of wealth, end quote. She went on to say, quote, in a short time, I hope a very short time, men and women will discover that they are poor because Carnegie and Rockefeller, they have more than they know what to do with. So yes, eat the oh rich. Oh my gosh, she's way ahead of her time. Right? Eat the rich. The landlord's game is eerily similar to the standardized monopoly of today. 
It's a square board with nine rectangular squares on each side, set between corners labeled things like go to jail or public park. Players would then circle the board, buying up railroads and property, collecting money, and paying rent. A major difference. Maggie made up two sets of rules that you could play by. The monopolist rules were the anti-monopolist rules. Ooh, I want to play by the anti-monopolist rules. Yes, right? So the monopolist goal was to create industries, monopolies, win by forcing others out of their industries, essentially crush your opponents, like, at all cost. And then the anti-monopolist rules or goal was to create products and interact with your opponents where all players were rewarded when wealth was created. Mm. <laughs> A couple things that Maggie's game had that our you know standardized version now does not have, there is these absolute necessity spaces where you could pick up goods like food and shelter, franchise spaces, which offered services such as water and light. Um, gamers would actually have to perform labor to earn their wages as well as, you know, collect rent from their properties. Um, and then every time players passed Mother Earth instead of Go, they were, quote, supposed to have performed so much labor upon Mother Earth that they received $100 in wages. Universal income, anyone? <laughs> Very interesting. Um, and then players who ran out of money instead of, like, losing the game, you'd be sent to poorhouses. Very interesting. So the game kind of monopolized uh -huh, uh, the nice. natural human instinct to compete, though Maggie's goal was to showcase the contrast between opposing philosophies um, in the hope that Americans would realize the reality of the system that they lived in, right? That they're like in a situation as cogs in a machine creating mass wealth for a very small number of people, while the majority of people starved and labored and toiled their lives away, seeing very little wealth ever. So like, that's what she wanted to to show you like you could play like this one person wins and everybody else is like left devastated or you can play collectively and then everybody comes out a winner well i hate to break it to her but <laughs> yeah no it's very not what happened it's not what happened it's it's actually very sad what happened with maggie okay so she published her game through a company called economic game company of new york it was a hit with leftist intellectuals and on college campuses um it was so popular people they would like buy a copy but then instead of like their friends buying a copy, their friends would then make their own copies, and then their friends would make their own copies. So she didn't make a lot of money off this game. Mm -hmm. um, and it was through this kind of popular, like, word of mouth, like, hand-me-down um, sharing that three decades later, this is how Charles Darrow heard about the game. And like I said before, Darrow sold the copyrights to Parker Brothers, who made millions of dollars on the game. And mm -hmm. Lizzie Maggie, she made a small sum of $500 when the Parker Brothers bought her... Um, bought her patent from her and she got oh no gosh. royalties no royalties that's messed up <sighs> it's very sad so initially maggie was like super excited that someone was going to buy her game she was really excited that the masses were going to kind of see her political ideas like happening mm -hmm. in front of them um, and have access to like georgia's philosophy she soon realized however that parker brothers and darrow had kind of stripped her game away of any like leftist political opinions and strictly published the monopolist version of the game which to maggie defeated the entire purpose of the game according to a washington evening star article at the time the new version of the game was a massive success quote it went over with a bang but not for miss phillips knee maggie at this point she had gotten married 
Probably, if one counts the lawyers, printers, and patent office fees used up in developing it, the game has cost her more than she ever made of it. So, she cost her more to make the game than she ever received in terms of money. Um, yeah. She, she like, went on to develop more board games. Like, they all basically faded into obscurity. She pretty much faded into sub- obscurity as well. She, like, mm-hmm. worked a couple jobs. She worked for, like, the Department of Education. And everyone she worked with, like, kind of knew her as that old woman who talks about inventing board games. Um, mm-hmm. But outside of that, like, nobody really knew much about her history or what she had done. Um, and she passed away in 1948 without her story having ever been told, which is very sad. Yeah. In 1973, there was a man named Ralph Anschbach. He was like a left-wing academic at a university in California. I can't remember which one. Mm -hmm. He created an anti-monopoly game uh, with his intent to kind of show that monopolies are bad. Uh, He was under a legal attack from Parker Brothers at the time because Parker Brothers was like, we have this really successful game called Monopoly and this asshole leftist is making an anti-monopoly game. Like, we need to shut it down. Mm -hmm. Um, And so while Anschbach was dealing with this, you know, legal situation, he learned about Lizzie Maggie's involvement with the creation of Monopoly. He researched her story uh, with the hope of undermining Parker Brothers, like, claim to her intellectual property. Um, The case lasted a full decade, but Anschbach actually ended up prevailing and, um, like, cementing Maggie's um, involvement with the creation of Monopoly. Uh, It confirmed her undisputed role with the invention of the game, and it built up an incredible archive of material documenting her involvement, which is really exciting for her. Um, But here's the sad part. Even though, like, it is, like, legally... Maggie, who invented Monopoly. Mm-hmm. As of 2015, Hasbro, who is the current parent company of Parker Brothers, still did not acknowledge her involvement. When The Guardian asked for a statement on Lizzie Maggie's involvement with the creation of Monopoly, Hasbro replied with, quote, Hasbro credits the official Monopoly game produced and played today to Charles Darrow. So still, Lizzie Maggie is like basically an obscure household name, whereas Charles Darrow became the first millionaire game designer in history. Oh my gosh, that's so ironic. Not only did they steal her stuff too, they also like changed the whole point of it. Exactly. Right. So like what else is there to talk about now that we've gone through all that depressing stuff? Like once again, a man Mm -hmm. reaps the rewards for a woman's invention, right? Um, Not to mention bastardizing the entire political concept behind the original game. Couple questions. Would America be totally different had Maggie's dual ruled game be released instead of the version that glorifies the pursuit of mass wealth, the wealthiest 1%, the monopolization of industry, and then crippling and crushing the remaining 99%? You're Who knows? asking me? I don't know. I don't know. I'm just I'm just saying. I, I doubt it though. There's too much like competitiveness in the, I mean, there's a reason why they probably decided to go with the monopoly version of it, because they knew that right. that's what would sell. Right. Um I do have to say that I think her political stand standing and her political points of views and her philosophy are super relevant to this day and age. And it's so interesting mm-hmm. to think of how our society obviously is a very capitalist society um, and how we're kind of taught like money is more important and success is based off of like your monetary value. And I mean, we grew up playing Monopoly. Like we were indoctrinated from such a young age to think about like, how do we crush our opponents? You yeah, know. not me. That's why I'm so well-rounded. It is. That's why she <laughs> she really, she, you know, she gives all her money away. Um, True. 
So I, I would I would be interested in playing Monopoly with both sets of rules just to see how they go. I actually really like um, collaborative board games. I think they're much more fun than um, competitive board games, also because I have anxiety. So when you're yeah. playing a competitive board game, it's too much anxiety for me. Whereas if you're playing together with everybody and you're all trying to solve one problem together, it's much more relaxed. You know, no, I have much more fun. Yeah, um, I'd rather collaborate. Does, does someone like print out a someone should have a set of rules for how to play anti-monopoly on a monopoly board i think i think we could actually google that and find it online yes i think you can actually buy that anchebox game the anti-monopoly game that he created in the 70s i mean i still don't want to play so don't get upset (laughs) but i don't have that kind of time (laughs) but in theory i I support it yeah she she really she'll she'll say good good for you i'm not i'm not joining you Uh, i'm gonna round off my section with some random monopoly facts that i think are fun um In 2018, um, a Southeast Asian um, Hasbro managing director announced that they're opening a Monopoly Mansion Hotel, um, which is going to be a five-star, 225-room hotel in Kuala Lumpur um, with, like, a 20s Gatsby vibe. Uh, it okay. was post... <laughs> right? Like, let's go stay at Park Place Room. Uh, I don't know. Uh, it was supposed to open in 2019, but it seems to not have opened. Although you can visit their website, sign up for their newsletter, and get updates. Okay, you know, so this do that. always t- take longer than you originally planned. I know they really do. So why do they put like a date on it until they actually know up? for sure? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Nobody expected to be in a pandemic right now. So Mm-mm. there's that. Okay. How about this? You probably don't know because you don't, you're not familiar with the game, but Marvin Gardens is one of the uh, properties that you can land on in monopoly it's the last yellow monopoly property um and it's spelled with an i in the game marvin gardens with an i um and it's actually a misspelling of the real location's name because the whole board is based off of atlantic city which if, mm-hmm. i don't know if you knew that um but I there did. is an actual marvin gardens in atlantic city spelled with an e uh and the misspelling we actually have to thank charles and olive, uh, olive todd who used their board game and then created a copy and in the copying of their board game they spelled marvin gardens wrong and that um version is the version that darrow sold to parker brothers and that's why we have that misspelling to this day very fun human error uh the uk version of the game all the american locations were replaced with british locations go figure whereas in um other countries that's not the case they just keep the american uh locations for instance Boardwalk and Park Place are two locations in the U.S. standard version, but in the U.K. standard version, they're replaced with Park Lane and Mayfair. Very nice. They have to have their own things over there. They do. They're um, still bitter. <laughs> <laughs> they are. They hate us. Uh, this is my favorite fact. During World War II, as you know, a lot of British people, or a lot of people in general, were you know kept captured as prisoners of war british airmen in particular would like be shot down over germany you know germany occupied land and then they'd be kept uh, held prisoner and for whatever reason germany allowed humanitarian groups like the red cross to distribute care packages to these pow's uh, and one of the categories that the red cross could like send over to these pow's were games and pastimes so then there's this company that was posing as a charity called licensed vic Tuilers Prisoners Relief Fund, and they sent packages to POWs that included Monopoly games. But inside of the games, they were filled with secret escape kits. And these <gasps> kits included things like compasses, metal files, money, and most importantly, maps. 
that I thought was really cool. Sneaky, sneaky. Right? Uh, last little fact for you. The original game included 10 metal tokens, including an iron, purse, lantern, race car, symbol, shoe, top hat, battleship, cannon, and a rocking horse. Uh, as of 2017, the current pieces in rotation in the U.S. are a battleship, a Scottish dog, a top hat, a roadster, like the little car, a cat, mm-hmm. a T-Rex, a rubber duck, and a penguin. Wait, this, what? Why they changed it all to animals? Right, so they nixed the thimble, boot, iron, and wheelbarrow, which were in my games as a child. And yeah, they put same. in. So, and now we Kids have a these T-Rex. These days are like, what's a thimble? Yeah, right? They're like, what's a wheelbarrow? It's like, okay, did you never sit in a wheelbarrow and have your dad run down your yard with you in it? Is that just me? <laughs> I mean, I never did, but I still knew what a wheelbarrow was. Um. That's all I have for you. I got a lot of my information from the Guardian article called The Secret History of Monopoly, The Capitalist Board Game's Left-Wing Origins. Uh, Also from the Smithsonian, Monopoly was designed to teach the 99% about income equality. And then the New York Times article, Monopoly's Inventor, The Progressive Who Didn't Pass Go. All very good articles. Very good information there. Good title. So that's what I got. Um, Okay. So the Monopoly guy, does he have a monocle? Yes. He doesn't. Doesn't? Look it up. That's a uh, one of those Mandela effects thing. What's his name? Just search like just Google Monopoly guy. <gasps> well, he does in this picture. But oh, that's so weird. And every On other the box, f- he doesn't. Yeah, but everyone remembers him as having one. So think about that. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Wake up, people. Sheeple. There's more going on. Here. Okay. <laughs> My topic is from the Washington Post, uh, August 3rd crossword by Gail Grabowski and Bruce Bensky. And it is 20 across bar mitzvah scroll. Oh, what is it? A Torah. Oh, I was wondering if there's like a specific. Obviously. A specific scroll from the Torah. Sorry, I don't know much about no, the Torah. No, just the general, general scroll. Um, so I'm doing bar mitzvahs, but also just uh, rites of passage in general, coming cool. of age celebrations yes. around the world. So um, a bar mitzvah is obviously the Jewish coming of age ceremony. I'm not going to go like super in depth into the history of the bar mitzvah and, you know, go into the history of like Judaism, but <laughs> I will talk about <laughs> like vaguely the event and then some other events that okay. people use to symbolize becoming an adult. Yes. And yes. if Americans have, you know, that version for themselves. Okay. Let's okay. talk about it. So um, do you know the difference between a bar mitzvah and a bat mitzvah? One is for a boy, one is for a girl. Yeah. So bar mitzvah is for boys and bat mitzvahs are for girls. And the boys, it happens when they're 13 and for girls when they're 12. And this is actually a common theme in different cultures. Girls usually um, do the ceremonies earlier than boys. I wonder why. I wonder why. Okay. So the ceremony takes place the Saturday morning following the child's birthday, if the schedule allows. That's ideally when it should take place. But of course, with like scheduling and stuff, sometimes it's a couple weeks or months after. Okay. Leading up to the ceremony, the child must take classes, aka Hebrew school, aka I was so jealous of all the kids who went to Hebrew school in my elementary school because they all like knew each other there and were friends there and I didn't go because I'm not Jewish. That's so funny because I didn't know any Jewish kids growing up at all. I was jealous I, of the kids who went to CCD because everyone in my town was Catholic. 
Well, I went to CCD, um, but my elementary school and middle school had a huge Jewish population. So I knew a lot of Jewish kids and I went not to brag, but I did go to a lot of bat mitzvahs. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Flex. <laughs> uh, but anyways, they all went to Hebrew school and like had a great time and we're all BFFs. Um, my, my best friend in ele- elementary school was Jewish. So I was like kind of a, <laughs> I was like associated, <laughs> but um, okay. So they have to go to these Hebrew classes or they can work one-on-one with their rabbi in order to learn enough Hebrew to read from the Torah and also know enough. They learn about like Jewish history and law to understand the text, the context. Okay. Okay, so the ceremony varies for everyone. Like, there are obviously different um, branches of Judaism, and, you know, in different communities it's diff- it changes. But typically it consists of a blessing, a Torah reading, partially done by the child. So usually the child will, like, come in and do the last bit, and it's in Hebrew. Mm-hmm. Um, a short talk given by the child, like a little speech. Oh, and then – I know, I remember those. Um, and then another speech by either the parents or the rabbi, you know, saying how proud they are of their kid and all that good stuff okay and then the that's like the ceremony but then yeah. it's party time and yeah this was like the thing to do this was like in sixth grade when all the uh bat mitzvahs were going on you got to get like dressed up and like you thought you looked so good like no one could tell you anything but you mm-hmm. had braces and like the little wireframe <laughs> <laughs> glasses um but this was like i mean th- these parties are huge they yeah. can be it's almost like a wedding essentially right. So, obviously, when you're that age, it's, like, a huge deal. I like, loved going wild. to them. Yeah. They were so much fun, but it does make me laugh because all my friends, they would get, like, professional, like, photos done. But that is the worst age, I think, to do a photo shoot. Like, I 13, hate looking at 12, photos 13. of myself. You're going through something dramatic and traumatic <laughs> yeah. at that time, physically. <laughs> no, you're, you're, like, your body should not be <laughs> recorded in that way, printed no, out. No, 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 no. no. No, and these are living on someone's mantelpiece for the rest of time, so. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, And everyone has braces at that time. Yeah. That is everyone, brace time. Okay, so the ceremony varies for everyone, but, um, oh, sorry, the party also varies for everyone, but typically it includes, it's kind of like a wedding, like the MC introduces all the family members, Mm -hmm. and then they finally introduce the bar mitzvah child, and they have like a, you know, grand entrance. Um, And then they change into like a different dress Mm -hmm. for the party so they often have themes okay and Mm -hmm. the themes are everywhere like my best friend her theme was starring sarah so it was like hollywood themed but then like all the goodie bags are i mean it's it's amazing um yeah the lengths that these parents go and then there is a candle lighting ceremony usually 13 candles um for their age they're 13 and the traditional order is one is a memory candle for those who've passed away Two is for great-grandparents. Three is for grandparents. The fourth is for aunts. The fifth is for uncles. The sixth is for cousins. The seven is for friends of the parents. The eight is for the child's friends, me. The nine (laughs) is for siblings. Ten is for parents. And then the eleventh is the bar mitzvah child. And then the twelfth is, like, the lucky one, I believe. But um, anyways, that can change. Like, you can make whatever you want. But usually, like, the bar mitzvah child will, slash adult, will, like, read a poem or a little something about everyone who comes up and lights a candle. Cute. That's okay. very nice. Um, before everyone sits down to dinner, a family member will recite the traditional hamatzi, which is a prayer and a blessing. The eldest member of the family recites the hamatzi over challah bread, honoring God as well as the child being celebrated. And then the challah is then sliced and passed around to share. Yum. Oh, God. But the oldest member of the family, the eldest member, gets yeah. to do that. 
Okay, so after eating, it's tradition to have a dance with the parent. So the boys will dance with their moms and the girls will dance with their dads, followed by a lot more dancing. Yeah, exactly. Um, Followed by a lot more dancing. So most people know of the hora, which is like the one Mm -hmm. where you're all holding hands and you're dancing in a circle. And that's also the Mm -hmm. one where um, people are hoisted up on chairs. So the lifting of the chair represents being closer to a spiritual place. And it also symbolizes people um, not being able to do anything without the support of others. Very nice. And it's also good symbolism. Yes. And it's fun. (laughs) So that's the bar mitzvah and okay. and the point of that is also like you're it's i think it's similar to like confirmation and you're an adult in the temple in the as well religion. so then you yeah. can take on um, more responsibilities and right did you do stuff. go did you go through all the like yeah communion I, confirmation. I did confirmation yes yeah so same adults same i'm an adult if you had any questions okay <laughs> so now i'm going to talk about um different rites of passage in different areas of the world throughout civilization yeah so let's go way back in time to ancient rome my favorite place yes uh so their rite of passage was beard shaving which sounds yes be the opposite but boys would shave off their beards to show that they were finally men Mm -hmm. um they would also stop wearing amulets which were worn as protection because since they were a man they wouldn't um need those protections anymore and they would also start wearing togas and soon enroll in the military they're big boys now so yeah i wonder how old they were because to have beards Probably like 14 or 15 or something stupid how many 14 year olds do you know with a beard to shave off i don't know i feel like they all of them have some sort of little scrawny face covering it's creepy <laughs> are there like... any 14 year old boys who listen to our <laughs> podcast please send us a picture of your facial hair don't do not, Chelsea, do not Google 14-year-old boys. I don't. <laughs> She's canceled. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm not kidding. So next we're going to go to Brazil. This is called the bullet ant initiation. The who? Bullet ants. Okay. Like aunts or ants? Ants, like the insect. Okay. So this is a tradition for 13-year-old boys in the Amazonian Satir Maui tribe. The boys go into the jungle to gather bullet ants. The ants get submerged into herbal water, which temporarily sedates them. They are weaved into gloves with the stingers pointed inwards. Then the ceremony begins. It involves song and dance. But once the ants wake up and they are mad as ever because they've just been, you know, sedated, the initiation begins. The boys must keep the gloves on for 10 minutes. And most of them try not to cry out as that's seen as a sign of weakness. And they have to do this around 20 times over the span of a few months until before they are let into the tribe as men. Damn. That's actually um, what I do for if like I'm like, interviewing anybody to be like a romantic partner not that i am but if i were to do that that's exactly what i would do you have to do it 25 times i would never be able to do that yeah, i no. mean i i have you stepped in a red ant pile this is like <sighs> i can't imagine. i have never but i can only imagine i've stepped on a bee <laughs> that no. was horrible yeah so obviously we would not be considered men in the in this brazilian tribe. <laughs> no. that's okay i've always known it <laughs> okay so next i'm going to talk about rumspringa yes <laughs> uh so this is the amish sorry rum spring up this is the amish coming of age tradition that takes place when the youth turns 16 and they are allowed to be supposedly unsupervised in the real world so we talk more about rum spring and the amish community in episode 44 three yes. strikes and you're shunned if you're <laughs> interested um but in general there are a lot of misconceptions about rum spring i feel like uh, like in the media to the 
um, English, as the Amish like to call <laughs> the non-Amish right. in America, um, we kind of have seen like the Rumspringa as, you know, these Amish kids like moving to New York City and doing drugs and partying and all this stuff. And while, yes, they definitely do experiment in that type of stuff during Rumspringa, most of them still live at home. Mm -hmm. during it they don't like move to a big city and are completely unsupervised i mean they're 16 and they don't have ids so right yeah they live at home with their family but the time is more used used to join youth group type things so they don't have to work as much um and they don't have to like follow their family rules as much they get to be in these youth groups and so they spend time socializing with other kids their own age um and interestingly i read that one of the things they do like they might play volleyball or something and one time i was driving in amish country and i like <laughs> pulled we were like driving and then there was these all these amish people playing volleyball but they were all it was so hot but they were all wearing like their full gear right and i guess we like slowed down and we're looking at them like too obviously because they all looked at us and, like wait <laughs> <laughs> whoops sorry um, i'm creepy yeah. But uh, so this time is basically like where you meet your future spouse. All right. right. We all know what's going on there. That's we do. OK, so not to interrupt, but there is like a very small Amish community on TikTok. How? I'm just going to say it. Oh, they might it might be happening during Rumspringa where somebody gets like a phone or something. Actually, like that. no. OK, I, I also talked about this in the episode. The Amish are not. I mean, it's like any society. You think everyone there follows the rules 100 percent? No. That's not true. No. I, I know through people that I know who work with the Amish that plenty of them have phones and they go to bars and they drink. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So not to. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you can't find not, Amish TikTok. They're not TikTok. this like perfect community where everyone is on the same page. They're just like right. everyone else. Right. Okay. So at the end of Rumspringa, the teens are given a choice to join the Amish community for good as adults or leave. Mm. Again, we talk more about how much of a realistic choice this actually is for a 16-year-old who doesn't know anything about the real world in right. episode 44. So check that out. Listen to it. It's so good. Yeah. It's one of our good, like, better episodes, Grace. One of our job. goodest. <laughs> our goodest. We're going to be more smarter. Um, okay. <laughs> Next, we're going to talk about another one that is close to my heart, the quinceanera. Yes. Let's talk about it. So this is a tradition in Central and South America when a girl turns 15, um, it originated in Mexico way back in the day. It was mm -hmm. used as a way for a girl to show she was ready for marriage. Potential suitors would present gifts to the family in hopes that she would choose him. Um, but these days, it's made its way to multiple South American countries and communities in the United States. And it's more about a tradition to womanhood as opposed to, like, I'm getting married because right. you're 15. Kinses so th are so amazing. Yeah. They're, I mean, it's similar to bat mitzvahs in, like, how grand they can be. Extravagant, yeah. So the tradition sometimes begins with a church service, a Catholic mass, of course, of then course. followed by a party. And the party may include a choreographed dance with 14 couples, plus the quinceanera and her escort, making 15 mm -hmm. couples because she's turning 15. Yep. Um, I was in two courts for quinceaneras. <gasps> when I was you? Great. Yeah. You never told me that. I'm I didn't know I was sure sitting I with royalty. Yes, I told you that because that's the story of when I ate too many Thin Mints. Oh, oh. <laughs> I will never repeat that story unless you Venmo me $500. <laughs> DM me for my Venmo. <laughs> um, yeah, anyways, I did not have a quinceanera. My mom gave my sister and I the choice. We could have one or we could go to Spain to visit family. And we both chose to go to Spain. At that age, having a party all about me where I had to dance, no, I never would have, never. No, you, at that age, you were no. not, you were not 
Keen's material. I mean, not that you weren't Keen's material, but like, I just, you were wearing fishnets no. and yeah. like studded it, it belts and stuff. <laughs> way too much attention. No way. Yeah, no. Um, but I did go to a bunch. My cousins, all that good stuff. Okay, so then alternatively, we have the Sweet 16 party. I had a Sweet 16 party. Was it a big party? It was a pre- pretty big party. I mean, like, we were not wealthy at all by any means. And it was a joint Sweet 16 between me and my best friend at the time. Um, we were both, you know, very poor. And so our parents, like, my mom knew some guy who owned a hall around the corner. We went mm-hmm. there and, like, ev- like the the rule was, like, everybody had to wear black and white except me and, like, my co-host. We were in purple. And oh all of the food gosh. was black, white, or purple. Um, and we had, like, a DJ. It's kind of limiting. Right. Okay. But How much food is black? Like, it dinner was, food? It was, like, Oreos and stuff, you know? Okay, like, but... we didn't really do dinner. It was, like, all snacks. Oh, okay. Okay. That makes um, more sense. <laughs> the coolest part that was we had hired a band, uh, Far From Proper. They were, like, a pop punk band from Florida. And we hired them to drive up to play our... Um, um, hello. That's a huge deal. They were, like, so – they were small. I mean, they had, like, an EP, and they did some, like, lo- local warp Tours, and me and my best mm-hmm. friend, like, really liked them. But – um, and they were driving up, and their van broke down, and they missed our, you know, our, our party. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Did you cry? It was so sad. They were going to, like, stay with us, and, like, we were going to party with them afterwards because – not Wait, that I drank when weird, I was though. 16. But were they over 18? No. They were in high school, just oh, like okay. we were. Yeah. I was going to say, so, that's kind of sketch. No, 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 no. They were our age. Oh my gosh, that's like traumatic, though. I know. Like I know. at that age, that that'd be like the end of my world. I know. And then like my best friend's like cousin like DJed once, <laughs> so he DJed <laughs> our party for us. Well, was it fun? It was a lot did, of fun. Did you have like a big entrance and stuff? Yes, my this is so funny. Like we were definitely from a very blue collar town. It's like everything's very you know. It, this was not fancy. Um, my best friend's sister had like a small car that we put purple streamers out of and her dad like blasted music, put on a suit and drove us into like this rinky dink halls parking lot. And like we had everybody stand outside and greet us. It was like, I look back and cringe at how. No, that's cute. That's when you became a woman, Chelsea. You're right. I'm sorry. Everyone was like, oh my gosh, look at her, look at her being driven by her friend's dad in that purple dress. She's an adult now. <laughs> We had rolled up purple invitations with purple bows that we ha- handed out to people. I didn't people. realize you're such a purple I, At the time, I must have been, but I definitely am not into purple now. See, another reason why I couldn't have a party that big is, like, I feel like I didn't have that many friends. I mean, I guess at that time, you kind of just... Well, no, because is in high school, so it's not like you can invite your whole class. You know, in sixth grade, right. it was still, like, you just invited everyone from your elementary right. school. We definitely class. invited more people from my hometown. Like, I went to a private high school, like, in a different town over. You had two people, and though. That's the way to do it. Because that's, yes. like, not that embarrassing. You so, know? like, yeah. we. I grew up in a really tiny town. So we invited, like, everybody we had gone to school with from, like, kindergarten until, you know, eighth grade. We invited everybody. And then, like, my five friends from my private school came, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so... Well, I wish I could have been there, but I can't go back too. in time. Anyway, so the Sweet 16 is popular in the U.S. and Canada. Um, it's not really as steeped in tradition as these other not at all uh, things, but the only thing I could find is like 16 is when you get your driver's license. So maybe that's right. what me that's what makes you an adult, gives you some independence. Um, okay, so the uh, Jai Li and Guan Li are uh, ceremonies practiced in Han, China. Oh, by the Han Chinese in China that date, dates back to Confucian times. So 
it's not as common nowadays, although I think sometimes it's, um, it's like having a little bit of resurgence. So Jai Lin is for girls and uh, Guan Li is for boys. Participants, or sorry, Jai Li and Guan Li. Participants are 18 to 20 years old. So they're actually like adult aged. Okay. <laughs> not like 13. Yeah, they're 16. actually adults becoming adults in their community. Yeah. yeah. Um, the ceremony involves traditional dress, speeches, and worship. In ancient China, it would involve the allocation of a grown-up name. So a grown-up name is also known as a style name or a courtesy name. Mm-hmm. And from what I could find, it's a name given to you to signify that you are an adult. So it was disrespectful to call someone by their birth name if you aren't older than them. Interesting. So the style name was meant to be a sign of respect. Very nice. Yeah. So I don't know what my adult name's going to be. Deborah, (laughs) do not call me by my birth name if you're younger than me i swear (laughs) to god okay so debuts are celebrated in the philippines and it's for a girl's 18th birthday it's a huge party almost like a wedding it includes a family procession traditional dress and 18 gifts from 18 friends there's usually formal dancing and fireworks Okay, I'm going to have a debut for my 29th birthday next year. So I need so 29, 29 friends. friends. And 29 gifts. That's the most important part. Yeah. Um, okay, cattle jumping. This is a tradition in Ethiopia's, Ethiopia's Hamar tribe. It's a three-day-long ceremony that in, involves dancing, singing, and worshiping. At the end of the three days, the boys must show that they can run across the backs of the tribe's cattle, a line of seven to ten bulls, four times without falling. Nice. So I see, can never do that. Yeah. Quinceanera, you like throw a party and you get to wear a dress. In Hamar tribe, you have to run across <laughs> backs of bulls. Um, so the eldest, the eldest child must go through it first before the rest can follow. The father decides when the eldest boy is ready. Sometimes they're like very young, like seven. Um, oh, wow. Okay. But I, I think usually they're like 13, 14. So he presents the boy a short stick. Um, and the boy has to travel to his relatives' houses with the stick, so then they know what's up, and he tells mm-hmm. them the ceremony, when the ceremony is going to take place. But since they don't use calendars, the boy gives them a rope marked with the number of days until the ceremony. Every day, the relatives cut off a piece of rope until the day of the ritual. Nice. Um, okay. Seijin Nohai. This is a tradition in Japan that takes place on the second Monday in January. It means coming of age festival. It is for all genders who have turned 20. They wear traditional style kimonos and attend ceremonies at local city offices where they listen to official speeches and receive gifts. It's very official. But then they have like after parties at families' houses. Oh, I love it. Um, the I'll tradition for the started... party. I'll do it. I'll do it all yeah. for the party. The tradition started 1,200 years ago. And 20 is said in Japanese culture to represent the age when the youth become mature, contributing members of society. It's also the age they get to vote and drink. So they, like, really have a lot to celebrate at that yeah, age. Yeah, that is, like, a, an important age, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Here we're all messed up where it's, like, 18, 21, you can vote, but you can't drink. You can't rent a car until you're 25, but you can go die in a ward, 18. Yeah. Thumbs up. Um, I was actually thinking about, like, how it's weird the drinking age is 21, but I'm like, actually... With how things are going now, I don't think we can be trusted with anything lower than that. (laughs) (laughs) Let's do another prohibition. Okay. Um, (laughs) So the Vanuatu coming-of-age tradition, um, it's called Land Divers. This is like one of the craziest ones. So Vanuatu is an island in the middle of the South Pacific. Young boys come of age by jumping off a 98-foot tall tower with a bungee-like vine tied to their ankles just barely preventing them from hitting the ground. But here's the catch. Unlike a bungee cord, the vines have no elasticity. 
So any miscalculation of the vine's length could lead to death or broken bones, at least. Oh, sorry. I would just pass on that one. Be like, I'll stay a child. (laughs) I'll stay a child. Thank you. The boys begin jumping from smaller towers at the age of seven to eight. In their first dives, their mothers will hold an item representing their childhood. And after the jump, the item will be thrown away. Wow. That is like... Could you imagine, like, at my sweet 16, say? Yeah. It's um, like, and now we're bungee jumping. (laughs) Or my dad was like, you know this, like, like bear that you've slept with since you were born? Yeah. Trash. (laughs) Fuck. That's how you become a real adult, Chelsea. That's why I never became a real adult. I still have that bear. Well, I was watching this TED Talk of this guy who was talking about how um, his kid had a bat mitzvah but he wanted another he he like read about all these different rituals that all these different cultures had like coming of age things Mm -hmm. and they all involved like you know a challenge lessons um leadership by other adults so he wanted to do something else for his kids so he had he made up like this ritual they had to like change a tire on their mountain bike and then they had um like a bunch of all the adults in their life like write them letters of advice um about different things yeah it was cute yeah, I definitely don't think that my Sweet 16 had any sort of, uh, like, emotional impact on me, except that was actually one of the last nights I hung out with my best friend. So, that's... Oh, my gosh. <laughs> at least we'll do a I, bonus uh, episode of the tea <laughs> from what happened at Chelsea's Sweet and 16. And what happened at the Quinceanera Grace 8 too many yeah. thin men's at. <laughs> it didn't happen at the Quinceanera, okay? It happened at the practice for dancing sorry okay i'm sorry i'm sorry um did i ever tell you that i my good friend lauren worked on a tv show about quinceaneras for buzzfeed oh okay i was gonna say the mtv sweet 16 because sometimes they did quinceaneras on there my super sweet 16 yeah which was an insane show that i loved i loved that the drama on that show anyway wow well that's it that's it that's it kids we learned about coming of age and you Did know. we ever fully come of age? I don't know. No, I'm not of an age at all. I no. never arrived. I never left, actually. So I didn't come anywhere. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, on that note, um, we will see you guys next week. But in the meantime, if you want to talk to us, find us on Twitter at The Good Eve Girls. Or Instagram, The Good Evening Girls. We're doing some fun things, folks. Come over and join us. Or TikTok at The Good Eve Girls. Yes, yes. Before come it gets canceled. Yeah. Who knows what's happening anymore? Who knows? Um, knows? All right. But I guess we'll see you guys next week. You'll see us. You'll hear us. It was great to talk to you today. (laughs) I'm Chelsea. Goodbye. (laughs)